I will be forever the method. You're the king of kings, though. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a pecking order. Little peckers never mess with the big peckers. So I'm a rooster, and he's a chicken. For this episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast is brought to you by our Patreon sponsors. If you'd like to become a Patreon sponsor of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast, go to our official website, bodybuildinglegendsshow.com, and you will see the link in the upper right-hand corner, or check out the description below. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast, where we talk to the legends of bodybuilding, and we also talk about the history of bodybuilding. I'm your host, John Hansen. On today's show, we have, of course, our friend Jerry Branham, one of our favorite guests. And I brought Jerry on the show to talk about the new Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary that is currently playing on Netflix. It's called Arnold. It is a three-part documentary about Arnold's life. And the first part of the documentary covers Arnold the athlete, basically his bodybuilding career. And then the second part focuses on his career in Hollywood. And the third part concentrates on politics when Arnold served as governor of the state of California for six years. So it's getting a lot of buzz, of course. A lot of people in the bodybuilding community have watched it. It's been out, I think it came out on the 7th, so it's been out 10 days. And so, yeah, I thought we would talk about it with Jerry. And Jerry, of course, knows Arnold personally. He met Arnold way back in 1968. He was good friends with Arnold, probably doesn't hang out with him anymore. But I know Jerry liked the documentary from his comments on Facebook, so I thought I would bring Jerry on the show and we could talk in depth about it. And we talked for so long. And it'll be in a two hour conversation. So we'll just have part one of our interview today with Jerry talking about the Arnold documentary. And then we will have part two next week. At the end of our interview with Jerry, I'm going to read an article about Arnold. It's actually an interview with Arnold and it comes from the July 1988 Iron Man magazine. And I believe Steve Holman did the interview. Steve was the editor in chief of Iron Man at the time. And it's called Arnold on movies, muscles and Maria. So this is when Arnold was at the peak of his Hollywood career. And in this interview with Jerry, I thought we were going to start off talking about the bodybuilding, but we got off on the subject of talking about Arnold's movies. And then that's what we ended up talking about more than anything. And then next week, when we do part two of our interview, we'll talk more about the bodybuilding part of the documentary, which was actually part one. So I thought this interview would tie in very well with Arnold's movie career, because this was the year that twins came out 1988. So I believe Arnold did this interview right after he made Twins, and he was very excited about that because that was his first comedy, and uh, I think that's what he talked about in this interview. So we'll read that right after we are finished with our interview with Jerry Branham. All right, I didn't get any emails about the Mike Quinn tribute, but I wanted to thank Neil Spruce and Rick Valente for joining us on the show last week. I thought that went very well, and I am putting together a video of the Mike Quinn tribute, the interview we did. So that should be up on my YouTube channel when you hear this podcast. So check that out. And it's really, really cool because I added a lot of video clips of Mike, of the posing routines he did at the contest he did. And he was really a great poser. So it really added a lot to the tribute for Mike. So check that out when you get a chance. I want to congratulate one of my online clients, Byron Lawson. Byron competed in his very first show a week ago. He is 53 years old. He had never competed in a contest before. He's a natural bodybuilder. And he competed in a contest in Georgia. And he did the classic physique and took first place. And he did the bodybuilding and took second place. So he looked fantastic. I think he lost like 30 pounds. 
and his waist went down like six inches under my guidance. And I also helped him with his posing routine. He did a great job on his posing routine for his first time out. So congratulations, Byron. He is psyched up. Can't wait to do it again next year after having a good off season. So if you guys want to employ me as a coach for you, whether you're going to compete or just want to get in shape, the link is right below. So check that out. I also put up the interview we did with Gabe Boudreau, and I put that up on my YouTube channel. So I got some comments on that. I put it up last week, and a lot of people loved it. So I want to read some of those comments. This first one from Mark said, Thank you, John, for still bringing amazing guests. Stefan said, I never heard of this man, but he looked very impressive. I wonder how many great bodybuilders were around as far back as the 50s that I never heard of. Yeah, probably a lot. And this one says, excellent interview. What a humble man. Didn't train for 50 years, and he looks better than most 40-year-olds. Thank you for bringing these episodes to us, John. It's great that you keep the history of bodybuilding alive. This comment says, great interview. Thanks a lot, John. You brought him back with one single interview and destroyed what Joe Weider tried to do by erasing him from the history of bodybuilding. Great muscle proportions. Piece of Greco-Roman art. This one from Wild Man says, awesome interview. Gabe was so cool, totally nonchalant about winning Mr. U International and being in 150 movies. Great physique. Mike says, John, you are a true historian. If they ever start a Hall of Fame history of bodybuilding, you should be the number one guy. This one says, if Gabe had a problem getting into the Navy, he should have tried a little later in the 1960s. My uncle from Dallas was only five foot three, and the Navy took him no problem. In 1967, he served three tours in Vietnam and became a boat mechanic after the war. He's still going strong at 81, still works five days a week. This one says, what an incredible life the guest had on all the acting and music. Very humble gentleman. And California back then was paradise with half the population or less than we have now. This one says, excellent interview as usual, John. Great to see these greats getting some attention and respect. And this one says, there are two types of people who will tell you you cannot make a difference in this world. Those who are afraid to try and those who are afraid you will succeed. Ray Goforth. And another quote here. This guy's quoting people. No masterpiece was ever created by a lazy artist. This comment says, off the chain, John be bringing 100%. Great podcast, man. Great podcast. This one from Gunther says, judging by the photos, he was very underrated. This one from Albardo says, I admired Gabe when I saw his photos in the magazine, and he turned out to be a great guy when I briefly spoke to him backstage at the 1966 Mr. Universe contest. He looks amazing for his age, and not training for 50 years and coming back has to be a record. But he did say a few things that bothered me. He implies that Larry Scott used Dianabol and got a severe skin reaction and told Gabe not to use steroids. That may be interpreted as Scott never using steroids again, which I highly doubt. I have little doubt that Scott used steroids to win both his Mr. Olympia titles. The other thing that bothers me is Gabe saying he had 19 and three-quarter inch arms. Arnold had his arms measured at his peak at 19 and a half by Arthur Jones. So Gabe saying that he had bigger arms than Arnold. Sorry, I doubt that. Gabe's arms look more like 18 inches, which was still impressive for a guy's height. Other than that, I enjoyed the interview, and Gabe remains the same humble and nice guy that he was when I met him 57 years ago. Andrew says $1,200 in 1966 had a purchasing power equivalent to over $11,000 today. Blair must have had only two clients besides the one that he sponsored, and they'd have to have been millionaires. Mark says Gary Udit promotes the IFBB Pro Masters World Bodybuilding Competition every September in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they have an over-80 division. 
This one says awesome interview. This one says nice interview. This said this guy is 81 years old. This is when bodybuilding was healthy. 80 years old. I'd love to look like that. And this one says Jack Lane's younger brother. <laughs> yeah, he does look a little. Gabe does look a little bit like Jack Lane. All right. So thank you for those comments, guys. And uh, like I said, I should have this Mike Quinn tribute video up on YouTube as well by the time you hear this podcast. So check that out when you get a chance. I really looks good with all the video clips in it. All right. So that's all I got for our opening. So here is our interview with Jerry Branham. And we are going to talk about the Arnold documentary that is currently playing on Netflix. Here we go. All right. Welcome back to the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. And I have my good friend Jerry Branham with us this week. And we are going to talk about the brand new Arnold documentary that is out on Netflix. I'm sure everybody has seen it by now. It is a big three-part documentary that covers his whole life. The first part covers Arnold the Athlete, which was his bodybuilding career, of course. And then the second part was about the movies, Arnold the Actor. And then the third part was Arnold the Politician. So I wanted to have you on the show, Jerry, and talk about it. You got a chance to see it, and you thought it was really good, right? Yes, I did. I actually watched all three. I wouldn't call that binge watching it, you know, because <laughs> I have like a personal stake because I, I actually knew Arnold. Right. I, you know, I, I trained with the guy when he was in, in his bodybuilding heyday. I knew the guy and I, I was, you know, I wanted to see what kind of job they did. So I watched all three, one after another. Like it was over three hours. I yeah. watched the whole thing. And I got to say, right from the onset, it was a welcome relief after trying to watch his FUBAR movie. You know, <laughs> that they, I mean, because I got to tell you, let me say, I got to say, even if I don't, didn't know Arnold personally, I will tell you, I loved most of Arnold's movies, especially some of them stand out. The Terminator movies, most of them I loved. I thought they were fantastic. Yeah. I, I love the uh, Conan movies and a couple of them. I, I can't think of one, even the ones that people didn't like, like The Last Action Hero, I yeah. still liked it, right? Yeah. But, so I watched this FUBAR be, uh, mainly because Arnold was in it, hoping that you'd have some of the classic Arnold. Instead, it really, other than Arnold himself, it was a horrible movie, horribly written, yeah. miscast, completely miscast. The, the dialogue was stupid. But because I like Arnold so much, I, I lasted four episodes. And then I, I was driving. By the fourth episode, I'm pulling my hair out. I, I said, this, I can't take it. This is like torture to me. And I turned it off and never watched it. So then when I saw that they putting on this documentary about Arnold's life, I said, now this, I, I, I had great anticipation and quite frankly, I was not disappointed. It was yeah. very well done. Uh, and the thing I really, as I said on Facebook, the thing I really liked about it was Arnold was very candid. Yes, yeah. it, it's been criticized. People have criticized Arnold because he left certain things out. Like he, like for example, some people say, "Why didn't he talk about the eighty Olympia?" You know, the <laughs> controversy of why. You know, you know, you you interviewed a lot of people who were there, John. You know, yeah. about how he shouldn't have won. Well, why didn't he talk about the eighty-one Olympia where <laughs> Franco got the gift over Danny Padilla and right. and uh, Tom Platts? But but the thing is that that didn't really go with the context of the show. Yeah. I mean, what is he supposed to say? I mean, I mean, what could you think about it? Common sense. Uh, you know, if they, if these, let's say off camera interviewer says, Arnold, uh, there's been some controversy about the 80 Olympia. A lot of people say that you weren't at your best and you shouldn't won. What, you shouldn't have won. What is he supposed to say? Well, that it's true. I shouldn't have won. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, 
Plus, it's only three hours. I mean, we can't go into every yeah, detail. I mean, you, play, you, you, know? you can't talk about every kind. In the big, in the big picture, the Indy Olympia wasn't a big part yeah, of the right. you know? Yeah, but but the thing I liked about it, which caught me off guard, uh, and this is true, was some of Arnold's comments. I really didn't expect. Like you got to remember, John, there was a scene where he's training in his home gym, very well equipped home gym. Yes, yeah. house, and he's walking around. He's and he says. He says, look at me, I look like shit. Right. <laughs> he, says, he says, I haven't had abs in years. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. Arnold said, I've never yeah. heard Arnold talk like that. <laughs> never. You know what right. I mean? I mean, that, that's unusual for him, you know? Yeah. And, and there was some very touching scenes, you know. I, I like the way he talked about his son, Joseph. You know, yeah. The one that he had with the, the, the maid, you know. I mean, I know Joseph. I've met him a couple of times. And I could attest he's a great guy, very nice guy. I mean, he has no airs about him. He's just a really nicest guy you could possibly meet. And Arnold acknowledged him, said he was proud of him. I, I like that. I mean, he could have easily just mentioned his other kids and, and kept them out of the picture. You know? Yeah. And the other thing that really impressed me about that uh, uh, about that uh, uh, video or show or documentary was when he when he's talking about uh, Franco. That was very touching. Yeah, it was. Yeah, like, like the scene where he's riding on his bike. Yeah, and, and he stopped by that mural. Yeah, and he, and he touched the mural with us. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you could you could sense how much he misses Franco. Best and friend. Yeah, they, you know, because all that was true. They were very close friends. You know. Yeah. But but to be perfectly honest, as I said, I trained in the original Gold's Gym. I saw Arnold every day when I went there, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I sometimes him and Franco would do an exercise together, maybe bench presses or bent over rows. But most of the time, I saw Franco train on his own, and Arnold would train with other guys like Danny Gable, uh, who else? Dave Draper, all these other guys. He Ken did not Keen. always train, huh? Ken Keen. Yeah, Ken Keen, exactly. Yeah. In fact, from, what, from my perspective. He, he rarely trained with, they trained at the same time. Yeah. Franco, again, Franco, like I said in a past interview with you, Franco has a, was a less, uh, stringent type of training system. Franco would basically go in and train whatever he wanted. He would do, he could do chess three days in a row. Mm-hmm. Arnold was more regimented. Arnold would do certain body parts on certain days. And then mm-hmm. before the contest, he'd start training twice a day, certain day, blah, blah, blah. You know, but, you know, so it, it, that part where he, he led, if you watch the video, it makes you believe that him and Franco, because they showed the scenes of them working out at the, the yeah. muscle beach. You would think that they constantly trained together. That was not true. Yeah. You know, and of course, Arnold always makes those statements, which I just can't understand, where he talks about training five hours a day. Right. I, I've never seen that. Right. Arnold trained, awesome. uh, the most I've ever seen him train is two hours. That's it. Yeah. Most of the time, it was about an hour and a half. He'd do about two body parts. Uh, sometimes he would come back and do another workout in the afternoon. He trained in the morning, afternoon. Yeah. Uh, and in the off season, he had even shorter workouts. Like I said, he'd come in maybe three, four times a week, about a half hour. Yeah. So now he might have trained five hours. You remember in the scene where he's talking about, it shows him in the, in the little old gym where he trained back in Austria. Yeah. How yeah. He marked each set with a chalk uh, on the uh, wood. And he, and he says, that's how I knew I did 20 sets. But bizeps and trizeps and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's possible that he trained five hours back then. You know, I'm not saying he lied about that, but not at Gold's Gym. I never saw it happen. Right, right, yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was really well done too. And I know they've been working on this for a couple of years. Uh, actually the producer of the, one of the producers of the documentary contacted me a couple of years ago because he wanted, he saw some of my podcasts and he wanted to get information, people he could interview like Charles Gaines and Boyer Co. I think Roy Callender, Mike Katz. Yeah. So, uh, Boyer and uh, Charles were in the documentary a little bit. Yeah. And then he was telling me about, you know, so I knew about this thing for a couple of years, but I didn't know when it was coming out. And then uh, somebody told me that I was actually in the credits, like giving a special thanks at the end. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Wow. I'm surprised. I, I thought it was, I thought it was well, real well done, especially what I liked most about it from a bodybuilder's perspective was all that raw footage of pumping iron that we never saw before. Yeah, yeah. That was great. That was amazing. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and uh I mean, it just, Again, Arnold's candid remarks, just, uh, I mean, the, the whole thing about his wife and, and the kids and all that stuff. And yeah, you know, he's mentioned that before. This is nothing new. You talk about, you know, the, the horrible mistake, how he let his family down. And, you know, I always tell people, I've said this for years. Arnold is the single most successful self-made person I've ever met personally in my life by far. Yeah. Because the stories he tells people about coming over here in 1968 with oh, basically a suitcase and nothing, you know, is true. Yeah. Because when I met him in 68, which was a week after he lost to Zane in Florida, you know, at the 68 universe, you remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I told you the story how he showed me the dying, you know, and mm-hmm. the party was all pissed off because he thought Zane was, a, you know, he was clearly superior to Zane, blah, blah. But the point is that, he was driving a a a rented a, a Volkswagen Beetle that Joe Weed had rented for him. And he, shared, and he was living in a small apartment about two blocks away from Vincent Gym. That's where I walked with him, where he told me the story about the Miami show. I yeah. Mean, well, the guy really did have nothing. Yeah. He had nothing. I mean, you got to give the guy credit. I mean, oh yeah. He's done so well for himself, and 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 I tell people, I think I might have told you, it's hard to believe, but on one of those. You know, we used to walk down the street there and uh, went after the workout at Vince's gym. And at one point he said to me, how uh, I remember the, he said to me, I'm going to win. He talked about the NAB universe. Remember, this is old 68. Yeah. He wasn't talking Olympia yet. He's, he'd already won, I think, two NAB universes at that point. Correct. Yeah. He said something. He says, I'm going to win uh, five more NAB universe uh, contests. This is him. I think he was what, 20, 21 years old when he told me. 21, this. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm going to, uh, then he says, then he says, uh, he says, you know how when people talk about, uh, uh, uh muscles, uh, in the movies, they always mention muscles like Steve Reeves. Yeah. I say, yeah. Arnold, absolutely. You know, he says one day the expression will be muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. <laughs> and that came, as you know, everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Time a reference to muscles, muscles like Arnold, it came to pass. Yeah. That's yeah. True. But the third thing's the real shocker. He said to me something about when back in Austria, he was always interested in politics and he, he didn't specifically say, but he says, at one point, I'm going to go into politics and I think I'll be just as successful in politics. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this is a 21 years of age. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't hear it myself, I wouldn't believe it to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And when he said this stuff to me, I'm not going to deny it, John. When he told me all these predictions, uh, you know, he was a nice guy. I liked him. I didn't want to contradict him, so I kept it to myself. But 
So I'm thinking, boy, this guy is in dreamland. <laughs> he's going to be in the movies, and he yeah. thinks he's going to be uh, some sort of a politician. Right. You know, maybe, maybe the Nabi universe is possible. You know, yeah, yeah. But the other stuff I dismissed immediately. Yeah. So, you know, but when he actually was elected governor, I, I thought about that conversation, <laughs> and I said, "Son of a bitch, he was right again." Yeah. <laughs> you know, there he is. You know, yeah. governor of California. You know. Well, I, I had a similar reaction because I got into bodybuilding in 77. So this was two years after he retired. Right. And he was still a muscle builder all the time. And they were, he was yeah. still the king, you know, basically, even though there was another Mr. Olympia. And uh, he was doing interviews all the time. So then when Pumping Iron came out that year, remember, he went around the country promoting it like crazy. Right. And I lived in Chicago, and they had, a, they had an article about him in the Chicago Tribune. And the Chicago Tribune was one of those uh, newspapers that where you, it had, you folded it out. You know, it was the big, the big one, not a smaller one. It was like the big, you know, it was folded and then you un- unfolded it and it was really big. They had a big, they had a big picture of him doing a double bicep and they had, his, they had his measurements like 57 inch chest, 22 inch arms. So I read the article and this is 1977 and he goes, uh, and they said, so what are you going to do now? And he's like, well, I'm going to make movies. You know, I'm going to make more movies because he was already in pumping iron. Yeah. And he goes, but make no mistake. This is his quote. He goes, make no mistake. I'm not going to be just a regular actor like, um, what did he say? Oh, or, I'm not going to be an athlete that goes into movies right. like, like OJ Simpson or someone like that. He goes, I'm going to be a major movie star. Right. That was his quote. That, that, and then when it was, then when it was happening in the eighties, I'm like, Holy shit, he's doing it. He's, I was like, yeah, no, no. it could happen, you know? I'm like, yeah. every movie that came out, like Conan, and then Conan 2 was bigger, yeah. and then Terminator was bigger, and then every movie was bigger, and I'm like, he's doing it, he's doing it, he's making it happen. <laughs> you know, the thing about Arnold, and I think they showed this in the documentary also, is when he first got into acting, he wasn't very good. I mean, let's no. face it, I mean, he was stiff. I mean, the, 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 Arnold is very embarrassed. Whenever that Hercules in New York yeah, yeah. is brought up. And, you know, when you watch it now, it's kind of funny. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's almost like a campy movie because it's, it's so, I mean, they called themselves Arnold Strong and this right. and that. Well, they called him Arnold because they, they felt that people couldn't pronounce the word Schwarzenegger. Right. So they, and his co-star was Arnold. What was his name? Stang or something Stang, like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they figured Arnold Strong, Arnold, and yet Stang and Strong, they thought it would be, you know, whatever, yeah. a little. A little, a little, a little, a little iteration of the of the words or something like that. But I mean, he was hilariously stiff in that movie. Yeah. I mean, you know the story is that Joe Weider. You know the story about how Joe Weider supposedly got on the role. They were looking for a uh, actor and uh, and uh, to play Hercules. And Joe Weider's like, just I got I got the guy for you. I got just the guy for you. His name is Arnold Schwarzenegger. He actually uh, did Shakespeare in Austria. You know. <laughs> And of course, you know, these movie producers, they don't know crap about anything when it comes to right. money. So they hired him. I mean, I'm sure that after the first couple of scenes were shot, they're, they're, they're looking thinking, wait, this guy did Shakespeare? What do you <laughs> do Come on, man. Right, you know? right. But the, they had it, you know, they, they had to dub his, uh, his, his voice. voice. Yeah. You know? But, but my point is with each, you know, succeeding movie, I, I got to give Arnold credit for this too. He got a little bit better as an actor. Yeah. I, there's a couple of movies where he's an actually a pretty damn good actor, if I say so. My, you know, uh, offhand, I, I, for example, there was one where he played, can't remember the name of it, John, where he played the father of a, of a girl who was a zombie. I don't remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was later on. 
Yeah, like I mean, it didn't, older. Yeah. It, it didn't do that well at the box office. I did see that, though, yeah. Right, but if you watch the movie, Arnold does a very good acting job. He really yeah. does. He, yeah. He's like a legitimately good actor in that movie. Yeah. And, and most of his, I'm not going to say that Arnold is up there with, you know, Lawrence Olivia and Marla Brando. No, no. You know, but, I mean, he's certainly passable as a decent actor, which is, again, a testament to Arnold. Mm-hmm. Arnold, you know, he took the acting lessons. He took the speech lessons. Yeah. When he, when he, when he trained for Conan, he had these guys show him how to do the sword. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Arnold is a stickler for doing things right and trying to improve himself, and that's one of the keys to success. Yeah. He always tried to, you know, he, he always tried to do the best he could and improve himself and, and, and always set goals. The most goal-oriented guy I've ever seen. Yeah. And like I told you in past interview, this is a guy who would never take a, a no for an answer. If yeah. You said to him, Arnold, you can't do this, you can't do that. I myself told him not to try to be an actor because mm-hmm. of his accent and his size. I said, Arnold, you're just going to be playing leg breakers in the background or guys who beat other guys up. I right. Said, he says, well, I'm going to give it a shot anyway, you know, but you see, <laughs> but you see, as Arnold said in the movie, I think, I don't know whether he said it to somebody else, but, uh, you know, this was said in the, um, in the documentary, when Arnold went into the movies, and you know, if this is true, John, he was already a multimillionaire from real estate. Yeah. This is a guy who had nothing to lose. Yeah. He wanted to be an actor. That was his thing. But if he didn't, so what? He was a rich guy. It yeah. makes no difference. He's not going to be on the sidewalk because he can't get a role. Yeah. You know, now you contrast that with a lot of actors, including bodybuilding friends of mine who I've seen over the years out here. They put all their eggs in one basket. They have no other assets. They have no, no other, uh, uh, sources of income. You know, they're working menial jobs, hoping to get the big break in acting. And very sadly, and I'm not making fun of them, 99.9% of them never make it. Right. I've seen I've seen guys for years, uh, I'm talking 30, 40 years, try to break into show business. They never make it. There are lucky guys. Arnold, I, I don't like to use the word lucky because you could say, well, he was in the right place at the right time, but he took advantage of the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? In other words, he, his success was built on one thing after another. Like he got panned for that Western movie he did with Kirk Douglas. The villain. The villain. I mean, they also panned him. They said he was stiff and this and that. But you see, that led to him uh, meeting this other guy, uh, this director, who put him in Stay Hungry. Now, Stay Hungry, he got a Golden Glove as the best newcomer of the year. Yeah. And that, and he, and that built on to more roles. Yeah. Than the rest of them. See what I'm saying? So, yeah, you know, it was a question of, yes, there was some luck involved, but there was also a fact that Arnold took advantage of every opportunity and he went for it. He yeah. went for you know what I mean? Yeah. Lou Ferrigno. He's another guy who got lucky. They needed, a, uh, I mean, uh, I remember when I heard about the casting of the Hulk, you know, I don't know if I, my, I, I don't know whether I told you this. I was told they called the gym, you know, the producers of the Hulk show. And they, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, John. They wanted him, <laughs> you know, because the Hulk is a massive big guy, right? Yeah. They, they said they were looking for a bodybuilder who was at least seven feet tall. <laughs> like a professional bodybuilder physique. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, you know, I spoke to one of these guys. I said, there's no such animal. There's one guy, the tallest bodybuilder I know of is a guy named Ralph Mueller from, uh, who happens to be one of Arnold's close friends. They yeah. still work out together at Gold Gym even today. I believe he's six foot seven. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He was the tallest. 
But uh, the other, uh, the only other one was Lou Ferrigno. Yeah. Six, and he was a legitimate multi Miss Universe winner, Mr. Olympia contender, and he was six foot five. So, you know, he, he, again, right place, right time. He got the role. And, you know, Louis still making movies for Crane Outlaw. I just saw, he's making, I just saw pictures. He's playing some sort of hermit. He has this big black. Oh, really? Hair. Yeah. That's like probably because he was in, um, did you see the movie, the, or is a mini series called The Offer? It was about the I making did. of the Godfather. I did. Yeah, he was I in did. that. He played Luca Bronson. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, he, I mean, uh, Louis, he hardly had any light. He had what, one line in the whole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he looked like a big rough guy. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but, you know, cause Louis, you know, he's an Italian guy. He, he can has a, he has that kind of face where he could look like a mean guy, even though he's not. Yeah. And but he's he still was, big. Yeah. He was good for the role, but, you know, I, I expected to get a little bit more lights from him. Right. Right. Yeah. I think he said he's here. That was his line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he didn't, have, didn't have to worry about memorizing dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah, I think what what happened with Arnold was um, he wanted to get into movies all the way in the 70s. And yeah. he was in a movie called, after that, Hercules in New York, which was made in like 69, I believe. That's right. Then he was in a movie called The Long Goodbye with um, Ellie Gould, ah, yeah. who played Philip Marlowe. And he was, like you said, he was the leg breaker guy. He was the guy in the background, no yeah. lines. You know, he just, they took his shirt off at one point, you know. Yeah, yeah. but you know, that's the movie I had lunch with Arnold right when that movie came out. Oh, movie. really? Yeah. I had seen Arnold in that, you know, standing in the background. That's what made me say that to Arnold. Oh, okay. I yeah. said, Arnold, that's the kind of parts they're going to give you. You're going to be these guys who beat up other guys standing in the background. I said, you know, you, they, they, you're too big and the accent, it's, it's, you know, just yeah. no role. And he, you know, like, like I said, it went one ear out the other, you know. Well, like, like you said too, he had money. So he, I remember him saying in interviews, he goes, I didn't have to take any role that came away. I didn't have That's to right. take the truck driver or the bouncer or the bad yeah. guy or whatever. I didn't have to take those roles, you know. Yeah. And then he did, he kind of did get lucky because one of the things I, I wish they would have covered a little bit more in the documentary was the influence of pumping iron and Charles Gaines. I mean, they did inter- interview Charles Gaines. But they didn't interview him that much. And I don't think they, they kind of went over how big that was in Arnold's career. Because yeah. first the, the book came out, Pumping Iron, which was a mega hit. Yeah. So that came out in um, 74. Right. And then uh, this was when Arnold was going to quit. He was going to quit bodybuilding after 74. He wasn't going to compete in 75. Right. And then Charles Gaines' first book, which was a fiction book, was Stay Hungry, yeah. which came out, I believe, in 72. And for some reason, Hollywood liked that book. It was kind of a, a weird, uh, offbeat book. Yeah. But it, it, he won a book award for it. It was his first book he ever wrote, and he won a book club award for it. And then Hollywood grabbed it, and they bought it, and this guy, this director, Bob Rafelson, wanted to direct it. So Bob right. Rafelson had directed Five Easy Pieces with uh, Jack Nicholson. Right. And Charles Gaines told him, he goes, well, for this role of Joe Santo in the book, the bodybuilder, he goes, you got to get a bodybuilder. You can't just get an actor who will lift weights. You got to get a real bodybuilder. So what Charles told me was, uh, uh, Bob Rafelson didn't want to hire him. He goes, he he doesn't have any acting experience. He goes, I'm not going to hire him. He's going to be up against Sally Field and Jeff Bridges. He goes, I'm not going to hire an unprofessional actor, someone who's never acted before. So then he met, he met Arnold and Arnold charmed him as he always does, you know. And then I guess the only way he agreed to it was he's got to go to an acting coach. So he gave him Jack Nicholson's acting coach, oh, who was yeah. this guy named Eric. Um, what's his name? He actually he was interviewed in the uh, documentary. He's older yeah, now. I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. Yeah. Yeah. 
So then he took, I think, eight weeks of acting lessons. And I think in the beginning, Arnold really did want to be an actor. He wanted to be a serious actor. And he took these acting lessons. And from what everybody has said, you know, that was one of his best performances ever was his first movie, Stay Hungry. You know, he gave a great performance of that. He was very, he was very believable in uh, the dramatic scenes. Well, like I say, he won the Golden Globe for the best. Won the Golden Globe Award, yeah. You know, so, uh, but I, you're, you're right. I, I, I should have mentioned that earlier. The pumping iron was a big calling card for Arnold. Yeah. Because even though it wasn't a, you know, like a, a scripted role, you know, in a way it was scripted, you know, but it, it yeah. wasn't not scripted. In other words, but it showed Arnold's ebullient personality. Yeah. And also his self-effacing humor that he could make fun of himself. Oh, you know? yeah, he was yeah. great. I mean, yeah. like, I, I always get a kick into that last scene when him and Louie are sitting, what was it, in a bus or a back? Yeah, yeah. And, and Arnold's going, like, like yeah. it's, you know, they're such big guys. They, they have to I mean, Arnold... And he told his dad, he goes, I'm going to get set up with your sister. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when, it, when Arnold's eating breakfast with him and he's and his hand is shaking. Yeah, yeah. Shakes, just, you know, he's... And yeah. he's like, then he says, you know, I called my mother in Austria and I told him, can you believe this? I, I win the Mr. Olympia again. And, and Louis' father's, well, see Arnold, will you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that was funny. I mean, but it showed Arnold's personality and it showed that, you know, from this perspective of movie people, it showed that this guy could be relaxed on camera, which is yeah. very important because, John, if you think about it, the so-called golden age bodybuilders, a lot of them had problems with that. Frank Zane was a very introverted, a great bodybuilder. There's no question yeah. about it. But he was very introverted. Frank Zane was not good on camera. You know, he, he, uh, even when he did his commercial, luckily he didn't talk much. He just, well, he was on a, a heart-to-heart. Heart-to-heart, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, he was not good. <laughs> you, know, you, you say, if you watch that, I think it's on YouTube. He was, talk about stiff. Yeah. I mean, he was just. Horrible. I mean, yeah. really, I mean, not against Frank Percy. Just acting is not his thing. He, he just yeah. not comfortable. Another guy who was kind of photogenic, who the movie people really liked, was Dave Draper. Yeah, he did a couple of big Hollywood movies. Don't make ways with Sharon yeah. Tate and Tony Curtis and Claudia yeah. Cardinale. I mean, that was a big studio movie. Uh, Lord Love a Duck with Rodney McDowell. He made some. Uh, he was on Beverly Hillbill. Uh, Hillbill. He wasn't. He, he was pretty good. Yeah. He, he was a little stiff, but you know, he he had this kind of good look that they like the blonde thing. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's all. The problem with Dave was again introversion. He felt very very uncomfortable, and and, and it just wasn't for him. Yeah. He's a guy who just the opposite of Arnold. Whereas Arnold took up every. You know, when they said, "Well, we 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 we're thinking of putting you in this movie," Arnold said, "Okay, I'm ready." Yeah. They, they said, no, I, I'm yeah. sorry, I, I just don't want to do it. And he, and he basically voluntarily stepped out of the picture. Yeah. Hollywood wanted to keep using Dave Draper. He yeah. just couldn't do it. He was just so introverted. And Dave was a terrific guy when you spoke to him. Great yeah. guy, the nicest guy. He just, some people just can't let themselves go. You know, the key, one of the keys to being a great actor is you have to be able to like get out of yourself in front of a camera. This is why Marlon Brando is such a great actor. He literally became the character where yeah. you were convinced that he was Don Corleone. Yeah. You, know, you completely forgot it was Marlon Brando from Nebraska. You know, he was became Don Corleone. That's that's what a, a, a true actor has to do. And my point about Arnold is in the latter movies of his career, and I, I would even give it to Conan. 
I would even include Conan. When you watch Conan, tell me if you disagree with this, John. I think Arnold was very convincing as Conan. Mm-hmm. In other words, I would believe this guy was this ancient, crazy, you know, warrior. Barbarian. It's totally believable in the role. Yeah. I, yeah. If you, you, to make it clearer, just picture Frank Zane playing that. Right, right. <laughs> picture Danny Padilla. Right. Sergio Oliva. It just wouldn't have worked. Right, Arnold right. Perfect for that role. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, so I think in the beginning, after he made Stay Hungry and he won that Golden Globe Award, I think his his idea was, I'm going to be a serious actor. And, exactly. and then what happened was, because uh, I remember when he made Stay Hungry, it was in Alabama, and that was in 1975 in, in April, I believe. And then the story I heard was George Butler came to Alabama, because Charles Gaines was out there every day filming, you know, because Charles Gaines co-wrote the script with, with Bob Richardson. So then Charles Gaines came out and he goes, hey, he goes, hey, Arnold, we're going to make a movie about pumping out. We're going to make a documentary. We want you to be in it. And Arnold told him, no, I'm done. I'm done with bodybuilding. He said, I'm going to be an actor. I'm, I'm going to be a serious actor. And he's like, well, you got to go in the contest to be in the movie. So from what I heard, and I read this in Randy Roach's book, they negotiated to pay Arnold 50 grand to be in the movie. Okay. Which was a lot of money back in 1975. You do, you do about Pumping Iron movie. Yeah, talk about Pumping Iron, yeah. Right, right. What, so what? then he makes, he makes Pumping Iron, and it's a critical hit. And Edward Pressman is a Hollywood producer, and he bought the rights for Conan the Barbarian. Because right. Conan was these pulp fiction novels right. uh, back in the 30s, I think. Robert right. E. Howard wrote these things in the 30s. But then right. they caught on, and they got popular again in the 70s because Marvel Comics released a, a comic book called Conan the Barbarian. Right. And then they, they got this cult following again, you know, so then uh, they thought this would be a good movie. So Edward Crossman bought the rights to it. And then he goes, who are we going to get to play Conan? And then when they saw Pumping Iron, they, Arnold, like you said, was so funny and he was charming right. and he was charismatic and he was had the body. And they go, that's our Conan. So they signed him to a five-picture deal but you know how Hollywood is with these big motion pictures. They had problems with the financing and the script. I guess Oliver Stone wrote the script to begin with, and it was, like, way too expensive. It would have cost them, like, $100 million to make it. You know, they said, there's no way we can afford this. And, you know, back then they didn't have all the special effects. They didn't have all the computers and stuff. So, And I heard Sean Connery and uh, Ra- Raquel Welch were supposed to be in it at first. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So anyways, it ends up being delayed five years. And in between Pumping Iron and Conan, I think Arnold was trying to do movies and he was, and he was laughed at. I remember every, all the comics were laughing at him. They go, this guy's not going to be an actor. And then I think when he made Conan, he said, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not going to be a, a actor. I'm going to be a star. Yeah. You know, you can be a star or you can be an actor. And I think Arnold recognized, listen, I got the body. I got the, I'm, I'm bigger than life. Right. I could be a star. I'm not, I'm not going to be like a Dustin Hoffman or an Al Pacino, you know. I don't have the acting chops. I'm not that little guy. I'm yeah. not going to take advantage of my strengths. And I think then he kind of – he didn't really care if he was a good actor or not. He just wanted to make big movies, you know. Yeah. Well, you're uh, but concerning Conan, you're right about the Oliver Stone thing. And as I, as they pointed out in the documentary, they hired John Milius, Milius I believe. Yeah, name. he was a director, yeah. This, this guy was this really macho, crazy yeah. guy. Yeah, he liked to have the guys cut the other guy's head off. Right, right. And he, you know, and he wanted got, you know, he didn't care if the actors like, you know, got injured. You know, yeah. had to do a lot of his own stunts in the movie because, as you said, 
there wasn't CGI. You didn't have the computer stuff back then. Yeah, yeah. But it was a great combination because that's what that movie needed. It needed the yeah. real to do that. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why it turned out to be such a good movie. But I just want to say something about Pumping Iron. Uh, I think I mentioned to you this before. Of course, Arnold did not, not did not mention this in the documentary, but I was around at the time. There was a big controversy because, you know, that crew came into uh, Gold's Gym, the original Gold's Gym, to film the pumping iron. Of course, Arnold was already, it was going to be focused on Arnold and Lou, you know, uh, you know, training for that Olympia. As you said, they, they coaxed uh, Arnold to come back and compete in it. Yeah. Uh, Arnold told the rest of the guys at Gold's Gym, I wasn't there, this was relayed to me by some other guys, that, you know, it's a very low budget thing. This film has no budget. It has almost no money. Uh, I believe they held that show at the Whitney. Correct me if I'm wrong. Remember that show with Frank and Arnold? Yeah, Whitney Museum, Art Museum. One of the reasons they held that was to try and get money. Money, yeah. They, they were running out of money, yeah. They were running out of money. So Arnold said this, you know, to the other guys. He says, listen, guys, this, we have this, this, uh, crew has no money, but I really think that this film's going to help all of us. It's going to really, you know, highlight bodybuilding. It'll get rid of a lot of the misconceptions that we're all just freaks and lazy guys and stupid. It's yeah. going to help us all. So let's all voluntarily, let's forget the money, and hopefully we can capitalize on this documentary if it's successful. And everybody said yes. Then it turns out for a couple of weeks, uh, it turns out that somehow it leaked out that Arnold was getting paid and no one else was. Right. It was a lot of angry guys. Yeah. Frank Zane jumped ship quickly. As soon as he saw where it was heading, meaning everything was going to be on Arnold, he said, this is just a film about Arnold. I'm out. And yeah. he actually changed his training headquarters from Gold's Gym, where he normally trained. He went to Vince's gym. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. in any of the scenes. Yeah. Right? You know, so, you know, a lot of guys were actually very – this wasn't said in the back – but a lot of those guys, some of the famous guys, you know, uh, of the era who trained to go were very angry at Arnold for doing that. I don't know how they straightened it out. I never followed that through. <clears throat> but another thing I wanted to point out about Arnold was another reason why he was so successful as an actor was his versatility. Mm-hmm. Not only played Conan, which is almost like a Hercules role, he played like like criminal guys. He played uh uh, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, twins. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing people were saying. And he, I think they talked about it in the documentary. How could this, wait a minute, wait a minute. Even the guy who made it, what's his name? Uh, the director, I forgot his name. Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman. He was into, he's saying, well, you know, I had my doubts about Arnold. I know he's an action star. He's a great big guy, but I don't know. I could, couldn't see him doing comedy. Yeah. I wasn't convinced that he could do comedy. And, you know, Arnold gives it a shot, and him with, uh, what's his name, Danny uh, DeVito. I mean, mean, again, they had some money problems where Arnold was already too big a star where they couldn't pay him his standard, what was it, 10, 15 million, and Danny DeVito was a pretty big actor. So they made an agreement that, all right, we're we're not going to pay you, we're going to pay you what they call minimum wage for acting. You know, union wages, which is scale, Scale, exactly, scale. But we're going to give you a larger percentage of the gross, yeah. uh, net, whatever it's called. And the movie turned out to be a giant hit. Biggest hit. That was his biggest hit so far up to that point. And, and, and as Arnold alluded, I think it was Danny DeVito might have said in the, in the documentary, I think it was Danny said this, he said those guys, Arnold and him, 
made more money on that single film yeah. than any other movie they made because it would turn out to be so sick. And, you know, they got that growth. So they made, there's a rumor that Arnold made like, like something like 60, 70 million. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Very well on that. I think it was Ivan Reitman, Danny and Arnold, all three of them agreed to the back end payment. That's right. That's correct. That's correct. But I mean, my point is it showed Arnold's versatility, versatility because guys who knew Arnold, like me and all the other guys. Yeah. They knew how funny he was. Yeah. I knew he had a great set. He was a very funny. Arnold right. was a hilarious guy. Where, you know, right. he was really funny. He used to make faces. Very funny. I knew he had a sense of comedy, but everyone else doubted because they looked at the cone, you know, this big, serious, yeah. serious guy, you know, he, he can't, you know, and th- then he plays this role. Was, he was great. But did you notice, too, that all those action movies he made in the 80s, he was always throwing in one-liners, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right. in Predator, he throws a knife at the guy and he goes sticking around, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was always throwing in a few one-liners. So well, that... like, they used to do that in the James Bond movies too. Sean yeah, Connery yeah, yeah. Shoots a guy in the movie Doctor No. Shoots a guy with a spear gun. Spear gun goes through the uh, the the guy and attaches him to a tree. And then Sean Connery says very calmly, "I think he got the point." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those are the kind of lines, Arnold. You know, right, right. I'll be back. He tells the and the doctor may tell a famous story. I was, you know, how they changed the line. I said, you know, I will be back. Was yeah, yeah. Line. And then Arnold, I think, was it Arnold who wanted to say, I'll be back? I think it was. Uh, and he no, I think Cameron wrote it, I'll be back. And then he goes, well, that doesn't make sense. He goes, I think if it was a machine, he would say, I will be back. Arnold said that? Yeah. And then Cameron said, did you write the movie? Are you a writer? I will yeah, that's be back. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I got it backwards. Arnold yeah. wanted to say, we'll be back. But that's, he didn't think there would be that, you know. Yeah, but like Arnold, but it's like Arnold says in the documentary, that's now one of the most famous Hollywood lines. Yeah, in in history, yeah. I mean, every time Arnold makes an appearance, he always ends his speeches, I'll be back. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, still saying it. It's so famous, you know? Yeah. But you want to talk about luck. I mean, if you look at how it all unfolded, I mean, now he was prepared. There's right. no doubt about it. And he was, he was, a, he was, I think Arnold was a star when he was a bodybuilder and then just nobody knew about it. Right. But it was a, a series of events unfolding. Like Charles Gaines writes this book, Stay Hungry. And then they make the book Pumping Iron and they meet Arnold. And then they decide to make a movie of the book, Stay Hungry. And of course, Charles Gaines says, Oh, you got to hire Arnold. So they hire Arnold. He gets in the movie, Stay Hungry. And then they decide to make the book or the movie Pumping Iron. And then Arnold's in the movie Pumping Iron. And that was his big. That was his introduction, I think, to the world more than Stay Hungry. Oh, absolutely. And then this guy, this producer, happens to buy the rights to Conan right at that time. So then he's like, we need a Conan. And then he hires Arnold to be Conan. And then then the 80s comes along and Reagan gets nominated president. And then it's all about action heroes. And then he's just in that era at that time. You know, it's like it was all a bunch of series of events unfolding. And he really got lucky. Yeah. But you know, one of the things that also I think about Arnold, you probably agree with me, Jerry. He's, he's always learning all the time. He's always curious. And I think he said that. And, you know, he said, if you compare me to like one of my movie roles that I, I'm really most, uh, alike, it would be Julius and twins. You yeah. know, he's, he's always learning. He always wants to learn about this and learn about that. He's always curious. And I've heard like people who are on movie sets with him that, you know, he'll talk to the hairdresser and stuff and he'll be like, Asking them questions. Like when he's doing the makeup, he'll be like, well, how long do you have to put this makeup on? How'd you get into makeup? And he, he, he's curious about everything and he wants to learn about different things. And that's why 
he was able to expand his life, you know, and then eventually he went away from movies he got into politics. And I mean, he's just always, always expanding, always like his, you know, like that philosophy, stay hungry. That's what he is, you know? Yeah. I mean, that that's true. Arnold always uh, tried to, like I say, he would take, uh, uh, he'd set goals for himself and whatever it took to meet the goal, he would do. Yeah. You know, acting lessons, speech lessons, whatever yeah. he needed to do. Yeah. And, you know, and so I was going to say something I forgot about, uh, uh, Arnold, I can't remember what it was, but you know, he, I, I like the fact that, and other people have pointed out this documentary showed a sign, a, a, a type of Arnold that didn't exist when he was a bodybuilder. In other words, when Arnold was a top of the line bodybuilder in his heyday, you know, the king of bodybuilders, whatever you want to call him, he was a little bit egocentric and a little bit a- arrogant. It's true. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff where, where he psyched the people out, you know, that psychological technique like he did with Louis and some of the others in Sergio, yeah. walk yeah. off the stage, blah, blah. You know, some of that was, yes, it was done for, uh, uh, you know, a, a psychological effect, but a lot of it was Arnold's arrogance. Yeah. He had a sense of arrogance. But the new Arnold, the mature Arnold, as shown in the video, is actually quite humble. Yeah. And that's something that kind of caught me off guard too. Yeah. I mean, I source a, 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 a type of Arnold that I didn't really know. Yeah. Even though I've known the guy for 50 years. I mean, uh, and I've seen in my own dealings with Arnold years ago when I'd run into Arnold, he would be a little bit sarcastic, you know, uh, I mean, he was always friendly. But like, like, you know, your balls. <laughs> yeah, like, like, let's say, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you know, if I were, would run into, hey, Jerry, how you doing this and that, blah, blah. He says, he go like this. He says, you look like you need a little more ab work there. What's going on? <laughs> you know, he, he always put a little dig in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, always. But the, but the last time I saw him, the last couple of years, he's nothing but nice. Yeah. He asked me, how's my writing going, this and that, you know, yeah, you know, my, my life, you know. Uh, when I saw him at the Franco Memorial, <clears throat> he introduced me to his girlfriend, and he said, uh, this is Jerry. He's uh, one of the smartest guys I've ever met, with a great writer. He says, uh, you know, this guy knows everything about, I mean, he really built me up. And the girls, you know, the girlfriend's looking at me like, who is this guy? Yeah. Really, I'm really laying it on. Yeah. And I was almost embarrassed because he was saying so many good. I mean, this was like not the Arnold of years ago. Yeah. With maturity and success, he's gotten nicer. Yeah. You know, some people it gets the opposite. When they get successful, they get nasty. Arnold is the opposite. He's gotten do nicer. Think, do you think it's just because of, you know, he's getting humbled by age and, and then he, he messed up, you know, he did, he at the end of the documentary admits about it messing up his family with that affair he had with the maid and having the baby out of wedlock. And then, yeah. you know, that, that was probably his biggest failure of his life, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, uh I think it has a lot to do with the age and the maturity. Yeah. And like and, you said, he looks at his body now and goes, oh, geez, I look like shit. <laughs> that really surprised me. Yeah. My jaw dropped when he said that. I mean, yeah. he's walking around his very well-equipped home gym. In fact, when I knew about Arnold's gym, don't laugh, I was trying to get a hold of him. I needed a place to train. I was hoping that I could get a hold oh, of him. Oh, really? <laughs> Arnold, can I train at the gym when you're there? Because I need a place. I never did get a hold of him, but that's okay because it worked out. But yeah. the, is he, I mean, he suddenly blurts out, I know I look like shit. You know, I'm thinking, whoa. Yeah. Arnold, 
He would never say that years ago. Never. Well, we, our, all, all of us get old and our bodies fall apart. But, I mean, can you imagine being like Arnold, the best body in the, ever in history, and then your yeah. body starts looking like shit? I mean, that's got to be hard to take, right? Yeah, I know. But, see, the thing is that that annoys me about a lot of the people who make comments about Arnold. I mean, a lot of oh, these yeah. people look at Arnold when he was, at, you know, Mr. Olympian this, and somehow they know he's older. I mean, Arnold's what seventy six now. I forget. He's seventy six this year, yeah. He's seventy six in July, I believe it is. Yeah. And you know, no matter who you are, if you're human, your body's going to change in your seventies, yeah. yeah. especially in your seventies. Yeah. I know. I'm in my seventies. I know. Trust me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, things get out of control, even if you train and do everything right. Yeah. There's going to be a certain amount of muscle loss, and you know, and yet these morons will look at Arnold at in his mid seventies. And expect him to look like at least sixty percent of the way he did as Mr. Olympia. Yeah. What nonsense. That's crap. You know, I mean, the fact that Arnold could make fun of himself like that, that shows that's the right attitude. Yeah. You know, I mean he he could get real depressed about it and you know, you see when he was looking through the scrapbook at all the pictures of himself, I mean I mean he has a good attitude about it, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. He's, he's accepting of the fact. And he also accepts, like you said, he made some serious mistakes in his personal life, which he fully accepts. You know, the thing about, you know, the maid. But on the other hand, in some ways, Arnold is just an amazing guy in that sense. Also, because, I mean, here's a guy who was married to this Maria Shriver, had four kids with her, you know, then, you know, has an affair with this woman. And, you know, gets her pregnant, has the child. He keeps it secret for about, what, 10 years or something like that? And then finally yeah. admits it. And, you know, of course, that immediately leads to a estrangement between the two, followed a couple of years later by a full divorce. Yeah. And here they are. They're appearing in public together. They act like they're friends. Yeah. I mean, the kids still hang out. He's, he not only takes pictures with Joseph, but you see him with his other kids, too, his daughters. His son, who's trying to be an actor to his other son. I mean, it's only Arnold could do something like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, do do something that serious and yet still manage to more or less keep his family. Anyone else, it would have fell apart. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what goes through Maria Shriver's head. I guess she figures because maybe the kids love him so much that she's not going to be a bitch and, and you know, talk yeah. to him. I don't know what goes through her head. I don't know. The only thing I know about Maria Shriver <laughs> I think I, is I know for sure she does not like bodybuilders. She yeah. doesn't, yeah. you know, she does not like bodybuilders at all. But she put up with it because of Arnold. Yeah. She has no respect for bodybuilders. She thinks they're all idiots and muscleheads. Yeah, but, yeah. So, but but uh, you know, like I well, said, I've got a I've got a couple of friends that have, uh, that I know who have cheated on their cheated on their wives, got caught, and they got divorced. And I'll tell you, those wives have never forgiven them. <laughs> They're going to hold a grudge against that against these guys for the rest of their lives. You know, they're never going to forgive them. Well, see, that's the that's the normal scenario. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. In yeah. most cases, if, I mean, not only did he cheat on her, but he had a child, and he kept it secret. That was and he kept thing. it secret. Yeah, I mean, that would most ninety nine point nine percent of women would say, you know, let me have half your money and get out of my life. Yeah. Don't pick up the phone. Don't ever call me. And yet somehow. Arnold has manipulated the situation where, like, they compare together in public. He still hangs out with his all his kids. Yeah, she shows up on on occasions, like when the, one of those kids has a birthday. They're both standing together. 
I mean, they not have their arms around or anything. Like they always right. stand on the other side. But yeah, yeah. the mere fact that she's still friendly to him is, yeah. is just amazing to me and, and something that only Arn, a guy like Arnold could accomplish. Yeah. And people would never be able to do that. That's another thing he, that's amazing about You him. talked about how his uh, personality changed, how he used to be like a little arrogant and stuff when yeah. he was younger. Do, do you think uh, because he was arrogant like that and he acted like the king, that that actually contributed more to his popularity when he was younger and he was a bodybuilder. Yeah, because it it, it exuded self confidence. Yeah, yeah. In other words, uh, in other words, uh, okay, this guy here, this guy, uh, Sergio Bray, Sergio Oliva, they they could act like they're going to beat me, but you know what? They'll never beat me. Right, right. They don't have it. I, you know, I mean, he's a little bit of a ball buster. He was arrogant. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. cocky. Yeah. I mean, I think if I think if he would have been like uh, like Lee Haney, a good champion, you know, a nice guy. I mean, yeah. I don't think, I mean, Lee Haney made a few remarks about Lee Labrada or Gaspari yeah. and stuff, but he never, he wasn't like, like Arnold, you know, he wasn't arrogant. No, he was all. mostly a nicer guy, you know. Oh, Lee Haney was uh, probably because he's such a religious guy. Yeah. You know, he was always a gentleman and uh, the worst, he never even directly attacked, I think in one video, well, I think it's in your opening when he calls Mike Christian a chicken or something. Yeah, like yeah it is, yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't mention Mike Christian by name. He says, yeah. I'm the, uh, what do you say? I'm the, uh, I'm the rooster, uh, the rooster, I'm the rooster the and they're chicken. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, but he never mentions them by name. It's like an indirect right. remark, you know, right. that's, a, you know, that's a form of. And he only remark. said that because Christian was giving him shit too. You know? Christian was giving him some stuff. That's right. Yeah. But the point is Arnold got, you know, he got a kick out of doing that. Yeah. That was part of Zara. I mean, he did that purposely to, to not only get a psychological edge, as he says, but he personally had fun doing it. Yeah. He was a little bit sadistic in that sense. Yeah. He wanted to see these guys get uncomfortable. When but I, th- I think you're right. I think it, it shows that he was confident. And like yeah. I remember when I was a teenage boy, you know, like 14, 15, 16, and I'd be reading about Arnold. It wasn't just me. It was me and all the other guys in the gym. Right. We loved Arnold. We, cause sure. he was, he was not only the best bodybuilder, but he was an example of what we wanted to be as a man. You know, right. looking at him. So if we're like insecure boys and we're looking at Arnold, Arnold's like confident. He goes in any situation and he takes it over. We also thought that he was a great, uh, ladies man. You know, he, right. he could, he could pick up any chicks. He would, he, this guy would never be intimidated about women. He'd go right. up to women and he'd say anything he wanted. He, he, he was did. Be late he all did. the time. You know, yeah. He did. I, I witnessed him. I mean, I, t- I told him the stories when Arnold, I mean, way, when he, way back when he first came over, Arnold had a really broken, bad grasp of English. She, yeah. you know, and I was at a party in Malibu for Chet Yorn's house. Uh, you know, the, one of the men who beat Arnold. Yeah. And there was, you know, beer flowing. Uh, you had big giant kegs of beer and Arnold got drunk and I'm standing there and there was, you know, it was a lot of girls there and Arnold, uh, you know, goes up to one of them right in front of me and he says, uh, <laughs> I, I, this is a quote unquote it's not me talk he says to her my name is Arnold I would like to fuck you you know <laughs> yeah, right and I, I cringed when he said oh. yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking oh gee, are we going to have going to have a situation here you know she's an American girl I figured she she's going to slap Arnold was a big huge guy and, yeah. you know, I figured she's going to slap him in the face anyway who knows what's going to happen because Arnold was drunk yeah. You know, she thought about it for a second. She looked at him. He was so freaking big when he first came over that she just gave him a dirty look and didn't say anything and walked away. Yeah. I took Arnold aside and I said, listen, Arnold, I don't know how it is in Europe, 
But here in the United States, you can't go up to women and say, I'm Arnold, I want to fuck you. You can't do that. <laughs> you cannot do that. It doesn't work. Right. He, just, he says, what do you mean? Look at her. She has no reason to do it. She was, he called her a dog's dinner. I still remember the expression here. He said, who is she to reject me? She's a dog's dinner. Exact <laughs> words. I'll never forget it. He called her a dog's dinner. Right. I can still remember that. I right. said, regardless, Arnold, regardless of what the girl looks like, it's a question of pride. In other words, when you say that, you're basically saying she's some sort of, you know, low class, you know, nothing person. Yeah. And, and no woman will accept that, you know, none, unless, unless maybe they're drunk or high on drugs. Well, even when he was in pumping air and he kissed that girl at the prison, remember? Yeah, yeah. And, and he goes, oh, she probably hasn't had a kiss for years, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But you remember that when he was running for governor, you know, they uh, was I can't remember when he was the re-election or the first. Uh, or, the first or, one. The first the one. The first one. You know, they were trying to, the L.A. Times, and I think they showed that in the movie. They did, they, yeah. The that's one of the better parts yeah. of the documentary. Yeah, they tried to build a case. They went after Arnold right before the election. And with the, yeah. in the movie, one of the reporters gives the excuse that, you know, they, because they were accused of like a political assassination type of thing. Yeah. And, you know, because it was like, what, five days before the election? They said uh, it took time to get the story together. Yeah. yeah, there were articles about all these women that he supposedly groped when he was on the movie sets. Right. And, no, no, we, we had to research it, you yeah. know, for weeks, which I think is bullshit. I don't buy that. Yeah. I don't buy that for a second. Listen, I've researched. You know, they could have done that a month. You know, the, the fact it was right before it was, it would, they were, you know, it was almost kind of like what, what, uh, James Comey did with Hillary Clinton when, mm-hmm. when she was almost guaranteed of beating Trump. And then it comes out about this thing. We're going to investigate her emails and she loses. Yeah. You know, it's almost similar. I mean, they, you know, I don't know whether they were paid off to do that. I don't know what went on behind the scenes, but the point is that, you know, I think I told you the story. Some reporter from NBC News called me after the times came out with that stuff. And he says, did you know, Ar- I heard that you knew Arnold, uh, you know, back in the body. I said, I know him very well. They said, uh, you know, how many times did you see Arnold grow women? You know? <laughs> so I said, I said, well, I said, I didn't want to tell him about, you know, the story I just told you because I wasn't, I didn't want to add to the, you know, yeah, to the- yeah, yeah. so what he says, well, let me put it this way. I've been with Arnold many times in public places like restaurants. And what I saw was women grope Arnold. Yeah. I was sitting at a table where a woman went over and put a hand right on Arnold's pectoral muscle and squeezed it. I said, now, if a guy did that to a woman, he'd be arrested on the mm-hmm. spot, right? And Arnold just laughed. It didn't bother him a bit. So the guy said, well, thank you very much, and hangs up. Yeah. He didn't like my story because he yeah, thought yeah, I yeah. what he and, wanted me to, to confirm that Arnold groped women. But Arnold talked bad to women. That was true. But I never personally witnessed Arnold groping women. It's the truth. Yeah. I never saw him grope a woman. But I've seen him say, like I say, uh, that's not the only time I saw him come on strong to women. But he didn't touch him. He didn't put a hand on him. Yeah. He would say gross things that, that you wouldn't normally say to a woman. You know. That, I want to talk about uh, part one of the documentary because that yeah. was all about him being a bodybuilder. But before we do, um, I was reading some of the reviews of the documentary, you know, like some of the movie critics or on Rotten right. Tomatoes or some of the other ones. And a lot of them uh, were a little bit tough on the documentary because they said it was narrated pretty much by Arnold, and they didn't have a lot of other uh, viewpoints. And they said it was kind of just a a promotional piece for Arnold. Uh, Do you you think they should have had um, more people like, you know, like Charles Gaines? I mean, Boyer Coe was in it for, I think, five seconds. 
Do you think they should have taken more of their input instead of just, I mean, Arnold's a great narrator of his own story. He's a great storyteller and he explains things very, very clearly. So, I mean, I thought that was a plus, but do you think the, the documentary would have been more fair or would have been better if they would have had other people given more uh, airtime? I, I, I have to say, yes, it would have been more balanced. Yeah. more balanced. As it is, it's like, you know, on the other hand, it was more like a tribute to Arnold. Yeah. And I think also another reason, I think they were, they released it in close proximity to that FUBAR movie. Right. Well, I, I heard that he's also, uh, he has some kind of executive role at Netflix now, too. Well, I don't know if that was done for publicity or it's true. I, I'm not sure about that. But I know that I believe myself that this doc, the proximity of the release of this documentary to the FUBAR movie, which was released only right beforehand, the FUBAR movie's weak. Yeah. You know, so I think that they, they released this, this very complimentary video of Arnold to kind of like boost Arnold's popularity and maybe make people who that might not want to watch football watch it because of Arnold. I think that was possibly some of the thinking. Yeah. But to be honest with you, it would have been a more balanced documentary, uh, if you, if they had interviewed people that maybe were not as complimentary to Arnold. I mean, they don't have to get nasty, but, you know, maybe say, you know, it was just, a, there's a certain word where where it's almost like a tribute type of thing. Like, when I'd write my articles, I would always make a point to give to all viewpoints. Yeah. I would talk about what, some, what, what people say about the good things about something, and then I would talk about the bad things. I wanted it balanced where you got both sides of the picture. Mm-hmm. And to really make a, a true a really uh, good uh, uh, 100% documentary. They, I agree. They should have interviewed again, not necessarily enemies of Arnold, but people that might have. Uh, like, for example, they 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 might have had somebody say something to the effect of, "Well, you know, Arnold's a very successful guy. Uh, I credit him, you know, for for, for uh, you know his his drive and his goals and all that. But you know, he also really stepped on a lot of other people and you know didn't care and didn't help out the people he could have helped. You know, that would have uh, maybe put a little negative slant on it, but it would have been uh, created a balance against all the positive things that were in. But I think the way this documentary was produced, it was only to show how a nice a guy, Arnold, they didn't want any negativity at all. Yeah, I thought the only uh, balanced part where they did talk about the truth was that what we just talked about, that third part where they're talking about the politics and they're talking about the roping of the women and all that stuff. That was the only part I thought when they were interviewing all those reporters, that was the only part that resembled like a real documentary, you know, building into the truth and finding out different things. Well, I credit them for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, that was the one part that was kind of, that was in opposition to all the other, you know, lovely things that everyone was saying about (laughs) Arnold. Right, right. Words, like if they wouldn't put that in, it would have been, you know, almost silly. If they had to put that in, you know, yeah. I mean, and they did it in a good way. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, the reporters explained, yeah, we were accused of putting it at the last minute and this and that to try and, uh, you know, mess up Arnold's chances, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they had to put it in. Yeah. Uh, and then they showed Arnold. Didn't they show Arnold basically apologizing? Uh, you yeah, know, he said where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. I mean, you know, that again – is a credit to Arnold. I mean, uh, yeah. unlike certain politicians whose name I won't mention, <laughs> Arnold admitted his mistakes. Yeah. 
know, and he, and uh, you know, he came out and apologized. Yeah, which is much better than denying it when the truth is so obvious. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, I got to give him credit for that. You know, but I mean, I was very touched when I saw it when he when he start when he's talking about Franco because yeah. and that that scene almost put tears in my eyes. Yeah, riding the bike and they come up to the mural of yeah. Franco when he touches. Uh, I mean, you could see how. I mean, he was almost in tears himself talking about how much he misses uh, Franco. Yeah. I mean, he says he says no man ever had a better. He says I wish everybody could have a friend like Franco. And that was from the heart. That was Arnold. Yeah. That was 100% truth. You know, cause they were, they were closer than brothers, those two. Yeah. They were, yeah. That was not made up. Yeah. That was a fact. Yeah. That was a fact, you know. Yeah. They were friends since 1965. And Franco was a really, I mean, I'm sure Arnold was a good friend to Franco, but Franco was very loyal to Arnold. I mean, very he, loyal to Arnold. Oh my God. He was on a pedestal to Franco, you know. Hey, John, I think I told you the story about the 72, uh, was it an S in Olympia? Yeah, yeah. You know, when I, when I spoke to uh, several of the competitors after the contest who compete against Arnold, Frank Zane, all these other people, and everyone said that Arnold shouldn't have won except one person, Frank. <laughs> Franco, I said, I asked Franco, Arnold was a clear winner. <laughs> the one there. And Sergio Oliva doesn't have the shape that Arnold had, you know. <laughs> and I, I had, I hadn't seen the photos yet, yeah, so yeah. You know, I, I gave Franco the benefit of the doubt. But afterwards, I realized, of course, Franco's going to say that yeah. Arnold's like his big brother for Franco. Well, he said that. He said that in 1982 when Arnold won. He said in 1980, and just like Arnold would probably, I don't know if Arnold publicly did. Maybe you know, Arnold would probably say that Franco deserved to win the '81 Olympia. No, I think he said, uh, I think he said he would have gave it to Tom Flex. He did? Arnold said <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah. Well, that surprises me. I think Arnold was very, very worried about Arnold, about Franco going in it because he knew after 1980 that if Franco went in it and Franco won, he was going to yeah. get all the heat, you know, so yeah. he didn't, he didn't want Franco to do it, but he did it anyways. Oh, okay. I see. I'm surprised. I, I would think that Arnold would just, instead, if he could say that Arnold, I mean, uh, Franco deserved that he would just be silent. Or, or, or give it. Well, I've read some interviews where Arnold was, you know, kind of critical of Franco, you know. So, really? Yeah. It's critical of Franco. Like right after, um, right after he won the 75 Olympia, he did an interview with Rick Wayne. And, uh, Rick Wayne was interviewing all, a lot of the guys that were in, uh, yeah. South Africa. So he interviewed Robbie, he interviewed Ken Waller, he yeah. interviewed Franco, and Franco was saying how close it was between him and Arnold for the overall, you know, in 75. Yeah. And he's like, you know, they always go with Arnold because, you know, he was the winner, but it was really, really close and I really pushed him hard. Yeah. And so then, uh, Rick Wayne interviewed Arnold next yeah. and he told, he told Arnold what Rick, what, uh, Franco said. And he starts laughing. He goes, Oh, that's Franco. He goes, here's the truth. He goes, there's Arnold on one level and he goes, on the next level, there's nobody because nobody's even close to me. And then on the next level, there's Franco and Robbie and all those other guys. Right. <laughs> well, Basically true at the time. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. Thanks to our friend Jerry Branham for joining us again on the podcast. And we will be joined with Jerry next week when we have part two of our interview with Jerry to talk about the Arnold documentary. And if you guys haven't seen it, be sure to check it out and send us some comments here and let us know what you think of the Arnold documentary. I also want to thank our Patreon sponsors for continuing to sponsor the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. If you guys are interested in becoming a Patreon sponsor yourself, you can just check out the link below in the description 
Or you can go to our official website, which is the bodybuildinglegendshow.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the link to becoming a Patreon donor yourself. I always try to get back to my Patreon donors. We send out a newsletter every week or two. And depending on the sponsorship level that you sign up for, you'll also get video articles and audio articles sent to you each week. So check that out. And thank you guys for the ones who do sponsor us. We could not do the show without you. All right. So without any further ado, let me read this article. This comes from the July 1988 issue of Iron Man magazine. This was... I believe Arnold's, what, 41st birthday, right? Because he's going to be on 76 now. And it was an interview done by Steve Holman, and it's called Arnold Schwarzenegger on Muscles, Movies, and Maria. They couldn't utter a sound. The two young bodybuilders just stood there dumbfounded on the outdoor workout deck at World Gym, their eyes as big as half dollars. There before them, getting primed for a photo shoot and sitting in one of those high director's chairs, was the man himself. Yep, it really was him, all right, Arnold. In the flesh, he was sitting there cutting up with the makeup people in true Arnold fashion. Once Arnold's hair was put into its appropriate place and his World Gym t-shirt was situated just so, Arnold got up and headed straight toward the two youngsters with the half-dollar eyes. Their hearts immediately jumped into their throats. They didn't even realize he had noticed them. The two were frozen with astonishment. But Arnold, being Arnold, unholstered his wit and had them laughing up a storm in no time. That's how Arnold is. He makes people feel comfortable. And, of course, he always makes the best of every situation. Anywhere I go, I have a good time. This frame of mind has made Arnold what he is today, and it's quite obvious Arnold has made bodybuilding what it is today. Hip, as he puts it. Without him, bodybuilding would still be considered a freak show rather than a legitimate sport. He has taken bodybuilding to the masses with his drive, intellect, and quick wit, not to mention his magnificent physique. From the very beginning of his acting career, Hollywood fell in love with the sharp-as-attack Austrian giant, presenting him with a Golden Globe Award for his role in Stay Hungry, and hailing him as the best newcomer in the acting profession. It was only a matter of time before the public had its new number one hero, Arnold, and a new pastime, Pumping Iron. That's right, it was Arnold that pushed the first couple of boulders off the mountain. The fitness avalanche that followed was a chain reaction. Today, Arnold is a mega movie star, a wealthy businessman, and a loving husband to the Kennedy-bred Maria Shriver. You'd think he wouldn't have time for anything else but movies, money, and Maria. But Arnold hasn't forgotten his roots. He makes it a point to produce the Men's Pro World and Mr. International Contest every year in Columbus, Ohio with Jim Larmer. Why? I still love the sport with a passion, he says, with an affectionate gleam in his eye. Because of his love for this activity we call bodybuilding, Arnold graciously set aside some time for an interview with Iron Man. He talked about everything, from his new movie Red Heat to his impressions about the present state of bodybuilding to what he's doing these days to keep fit. Here, in its entirety, is the Arnold Schwarzenegger interview direct from his office in Venice, California. So, are you pleased with Red Heat? Very pleased. In fact, we're going to show it at the cons at the International Film Festival on May 19th. It should be out around the 29th of June here in the U.S. How did you prepare for your role as a Russian? I studied several Russian movies. One was Nechaka with Greta Garbo. She plays a Russian woman who goes to Paris after the revolution to take care of some business for the Soviet Union. Her character is a very cold woman who has no smile, no humor. She's like a machine. She changes throughout the movie into more of a human being as she gets in touch with her emotions. She does this over the course of months. In Red Heat, my character does this in one night. In the movie, my character realizes through interactions with Jim Belushi's character 
that everyone is in the same boat. He's lost one of his parents, and I have lost both of mine. He has lost a brother, and so have I. Everyone goes through a certain amount of misery. At the end of the movie, I say, we are not politicians, we are police officers, which means we can like each other. Although we come from different worlds, our jobs are still the same. This character sounds a little broader than those you played in the past, is it? Well, it's a different character altogether. One thing I liked about playing the character is that I got to add something on. I got to do the first part of the movie in Russian. The beginning of the movie is subtitled. That's a great thing to do, to add something, to show the Hollywood community that you're capable of doing languages, action, humor. That's what every actor looks forward to, adding on a little something. But the movie also has the basic Arnold formula. It has the great action. It has suspense. It has humor. It has ultimate villains. There's this one guy who's a leader of a drug ring. Ed Ross plays the part who looks really mean. He's a very handsome guy, but for the movie, he made himself look so tough with the beard and the dirty looks that they arrested him in Chicago when he arrived at the airport. They thought he was a drug dealer. The people that normally like my movies will love this movie, and I think we'll get an additional audience because of Jim Belushi. He's a great comedian, and he pulls off his part well. I heard that you'd like to do comedy. Is that true? I love comedy because I like to entertain people. The movie I'm doing next, called Twins with Danny DeVito, is a real comedy. Every time I read the script or I rehearse, I laugh because it's so funny. It's a different type of movie for me. In fact, I think only three people get killed in the whole film. (laughs) Do you have director aspirations? Down the line, but I will produce first, which I might do this year. If I direct, I'd like to do another Conan film, directing and playing the lead at the same time. What makes you refuse a part that's presented to you? I'll tell you, putting a career together is a very sensitive thing. It's like putting together a financial portfolio. There's no particular thing that's worse or better than the other, but you want to have a nice variety of things. In a financial portfolio, you want to make sure you have gold, coin, stock, real estate, income property, on and on and on. The same with films. If you know you've done a buddy movie with Jim Belushi and you've done a buddy movie with Danny DeVito, if someone comes to you with another buddy movie right after, you turn it down. The script may be great, but you don't want to get three buddy movies in a row. You go for one where you're alone with the supporting cast around you. You want to make sure you do something a little different. Like after Twins, I'll be working on Total Recall, a science fiction movie. But if in the spring someone comes to me with another science fiction script, I'll turn it down. So this is how you turn scripts down. You look at your overall accomplishments. Of course, there are exceptions, like Terminator 2 is being packaged right now, and I really want to do that. I see a picture of you and Clint Eastwood over here on this table. Are you good friends with Clint? We've been good friends for many years. We have a lot of things in common. He's a fanatic about training. He's an actor. He's a producer. He's a director. We have the same political views. It's natural for us to be friends. We always have a good time when we hang out together. He's had a political career. Do you have political aspirations at all? No, none. I enjoy politics. It's an honor to serve the public, of course, and I can understand where the joy comes in, but you never interrupt the flow of what you're into. Right now, I'm in such a nice flow, and there's so much I still want to do, like producing and directing. Once I do all that, I'll probably be ready to retire. Tom Platz is talking about following the Schwarzenegger path to cinema stardom. Do you have any pointers you could give him on how to accomplish his acting goals? Of all the guys I know, I would say that Tom puts the most energy of anyone, which is a very important factor. Are you willing to put in as much determination and will and effort into acting as you did with bodybuilding? Tom passed that test a long time ago. Now it's time for Tom to see how talented he is. I've read with him several times, and to me, he seemed very talented, and he has the sensibility and the understanding it takes to play a role. 
I think he can make a major movie. He just has to be positive and not be turned off by being rejected because it's a business of rejection. With 90% of actors being unemployed and only 10% working, you can see the rejection. This can destroy your ego. Tom must have sustaining power. What's a shame is that there are so many guys in bodybuilding that think they can just step into acting and they can do it in a very easy way. Many don't realize it's very hard to get one part. Like in my movies, if there's a part for a muscular guy with one line, 50 guys turn out to read for the part. It's not easy. Getting into films is the same thing as getting into the Mr. Olympia. No one's able to step into the sport and the next day win the Olympia. It doesn't happen. How about lack of privacy when an actor finally does make it? Has this been hard for you? Remember, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Lack of privacy bothers me, but not enough to force me out of the business. No package comes perfect. You have to make sure you have name recognition and that people know you. That's what they're paying me for. They want people to storm the theaters and pack them. They're not going to storm the theaters and totally avoid me on the street. You have to take both, or you can go hide away and just do little character roles every once in a while. And that's not for me. For example, I just came back from the Pro World Championships in Columbus, and I made it part of the package that those who bought the VIP seats in front would get to take a picture with me. It took three hours, but it didn't bother me. I wanted to make sure they got something they wanted. We always get letters saying people want a picture with Arnold, so we gave it to them. Speaking of the Columbus show you promote every year with Jim Lorimer, why do you stay involved with bodybuilding as you do? Is there a particular reason? Well, first of all, I love the sport of bodybuilding. I love being involved with the competitions. I felt it would really be terrible to stop competing and also not be involved in any capacity. That's why I always stay in touch and I produce the show in Columbus. It also keeps me in touch with who is good and who's on top. Also, there's a lot of people in the sport I'm still friends with, and I enjoy seeing them. The other thing is I really don't feel that there are enough high-quality competitions in this country and in the world. There are only one or two in the country, but all the rest are improvisations of total madness, where a producer thinks all he has to do is invite a few top bodybuilders into town and then put them on a stage. There's no finesse. There's no stage production, no entertainment, nothing spectacular. Is that what you think bodybuilding needs to take it to the next level? The only way to take it higher is to make it more unique and more entertaining to a broader audience. Flexing alone is only for a certain kind of audience. In order to make the whole show appealing, it's like a movie. Always think about what the audience would like to see, not what you would like to see. But nevertheless, bodybuilding has made tremendous steps forward in the last 10 years. That's terrific. Is there anything about the sport in its present form that you don't like? I'll tell you I look at the sport over the last 10 years. I'm extremely proud to call myself a bodybuilder. I feel there's been a tremendous improvement in every area you can think of. The equipment and even the interesting outfits, the colors, the t-shirts. The sport became hip. In the gym, everything looks with it. The whole idea of women getting involved is fantastic. Even the Soviets are getting into bodybuilding now, and all the communist countries are following. And look at the nice men involved, like Lee Haney. Nice guy, smart, a gentleman. Rich Gaspari, innovative with his posing, a great guy. Mike Christian, another great bodybuilder who's a gentleman. When I walked out of bodybuilding, it continued on and grew as if I'd never left. You always worry that when you dominate a sport for so long and you step out, there's going to be a drop-off. But the new guys took over. I really have to take my hat off to the top competitors today. The way they handle themselves backstage, the camaraderie, very gentlemanly. Unlike our days, we were always conniving and saying the contest was fixed. So no complaints. No, there's the drug problem, but it's great that we have people who force the idea of drug tests, the people who are concerned. 
no one, even in politics, ever wants to rock the boat because it's very dangerous. You have to strip away little by little, slowly, because if you make a big issue about it, the press picks it up and fucks you over. In Columbus, we could have said, this is it, drug testing, and made a big deal, but we didn't. We kept it very low-key, a secret. We don't want to go outside. Like in Red Heat, a guy says, why don't you tell us you were looking for a drug dealer? And I say, my country doesn't do laundry in public. Bodybuilding shouldn't do its laundry in public. We have to clean up in-house. You mentioned women's bodybuilding earlier. How do you feel about it? I love the idea of women training. It really gave the sport a boost. And on television, many times the women get higher ratings than the men. It's a great addition. Of course, there's always the controversy of are they too muscular, are they feminine, etc. I don't concern myself with this. When it comes to the sport, I don't ask myself if it looks feminine or masculine. That's not the question of the sport. The question is, who is the most muscular and the most symmetrical is the sport of women's bodybuilding. During competitions, I always objected when someone did that with a man, saying, look at this guy's veins coming out. I don't think that's sexy. That's crap. It's the person who must decide. If they want to go a little overboard with muscle to where if they step out of the sport of bodybuilding, they may look too weird for the general public, that's up to them, not us. A female shop putter has to make the same decision. Does she want to be an Olympic champion or does she want to be the sexiest woman at the Olympics? How's your training going these days? What are you weighing and how often do you work out? Right now I weigh 210 and I train an hour a day with weights six days a week. I ride my life cycle a half hour a day or I run. I also play tennis because I like that sport and it gives me a great quality of footwork, which is good for my skiing. I'm a fanatical skier. All this really helps keep me in good shape. For Red Heat, I tried to get lower than my usual 220 in order to get across a Russian look, the bony face, etc. And I want to stay down near 210 for my next movie with Danny DeVito as well. I love to train. Training's had a great psychological impact as well as a physical impact on me, simply because I can use the gym as a psychiatrist. You can talk about what you're doing, about your problems. It's like when men sometimes tell their wives, look, this is boys' night out. I don't have a boys' night out because I have a boys' morning out every day. So the gym helps me psychologically. I can also go and train with my wife, which is fun also. We have a great time when we train together. So it's something I'll do for the rest of my life. I love working out and getting the feeling of the pump and flexing in front of the mirror and hitting a few poses. It's the same shit as 20 years ago. I love it. You mentioned Maria. Has being married changed you in any way? I think more in terms of a team now. I think more about the future and including her and everything but I'm still a free spirit in many ways. I travel around. I still do my sports. That way I don't have the kind of marriage like some guys when life stops. With me, everything continues the way it was before. I just add on a whole other part, sharing the joy and love each of us brings to life and the relationship. And what about kids? Any plans? We will have them in the future. It's just a matter of the right time. She's busy. It's very difficult to have children when she has to go to Cuba one week or Panama or the Philippines. She's all over the place. But when that stops and she has her own show out of L.A., then it will be easier. Is she still based on the East Coast? No, she's here, but she does the airing of the show Sunday, so she goes to New York from Friday to Sunday. I've heard that you have some interesting ideas on sleep. Could you elaborate on these thoughts? I used to sleep much more, but I've disciplined myself to do with less because there's so much more to do instead. Now I sleep about six hours a night. It's sufficient. There are people that need more and some that need less, but I just think about what you can accomplish with that extra awake time. Just imagine if you could study one subject, one hour extra a day, say American history. Imagine in one year, 365 hours later, how much you would know. And then the next year, you go into spelling. 
And then the next year, you go into Spanish. In one year, you'll be able to communicate quite well with someone who speaks Spanish. Take an hour of sleep away and add on one thing, training, education, reading the paper every day for an hour. You can cover the front page quickly, go to the political section, and then the book review so you always know what books are out and what movies are playing. That's the idea. A person has to grow continuously in many different directions. Otherwise, he's a vegetable and he's fucked. You exist rather than living a rich, full life. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Joel Gold. Why do you feel so close to him? My relationship with Joel Gold is a simple one. He's a person who helped me out when I needed help. When I first came to this country, I needed a free place to train. I needed help in finding my way around. I needed help in feeling at home in this country, and he provided a lot for me. He introduced me to his friends and many people. And throughout the years, I always knew that if I needed help, he was there. We never talk much about it. We never say, you're my greatest friend, or you're the most valuable member of the gym. I don't think it was ever discussed. I don't think I ever thanked Joe Gold for anything, and I don't think he thanked me for anything. It's an unwritten thing. It's understood. It's the same with me and Jim Lorimer and me and Franco. We don't have to write each other thank you notes. For example, Joe Gold didn't have to say, can you help me with my gym opening? I just felt it. What do you think made you so successful? One thing I can say, the United States. This country gave me an opportunity simply because it's a country of opportunities. I'm living proof. If you work hard and you're willing to go into the dirt and the trenches, then you can make it. This is not the kind of country where you get punished with heavy taxes, where the more money you make, you get punished. That's not the country where people hold you back politically or economically. It's always been the place where every move has been welcomed. The people are open-minded, and this paved the way for success. I've always found it interesting that people from foreign countries seem to have so much drive when they come to the United States. That's because there are so many obstacles in other countries. A person trains to overcome those obstacles. Then when they come over here, there are almost none. It's easier. Also, for me, bodybuilding opened a lot of doors. So what are your goals for the future? I'm striving to do more films with great directors and great actors. Maybe eventually I'll own my own movie company. I can see great things ahead. But wouldn't you like to be the governor of California? No, I don't think so. Not yet. <laughs> All right, the end. Oh, that was interesting. So that was, what, 35 years ago this article came out, this interview? And Arnold had not even started the Arnold Classic yet. He was still doing the Pro World Championships, which he did in 86 and 88. And then the next year, the very next year, 1989, he started the Arnold Classic. So that was not even a thought yet. He did not have any kids yet at this time. Of course, him and Maria were still together. And they were talking about him being governor way back then. But he said he was not interested in politics. But you could see eventually it was going to go that way. And uh, his biggest movies yet were not done. He was doing Twins, I think, at the time. And then after that was Total Recall, which was, I think, his Twins was his biggest movie. And I think Total Recall was even bigger than that. And then, of course, Terminator 2 was the apex of his career. That's, I think, where he reached his really, that was his peak. And then after that, they had Last Action Hero, which was a bomb. And then he came back with True Lies. But then in the 90s, I believe, his movies were not as popular. So he really reached his peak in 1991 after starting in 1982 with Conan the Barbarian. So it was like a 10-year run where Arnold had a great, great run as a movie star. So. Very interesting article and talked about bodybuilding being hip. And of course, since that time, bodybuilding has changed a lot. The drug issue has gotten out of hand that they don't do any testing at all. They, they were going to test in 1990 and they did do testing in 1990, but they only did it 
at the Arnold Classic and the Olympia, and then they stopped. And ever since then, of course, the bodybuilders have gotten huge, and now they are like freak shows, and now they've expanded the sport where they have all these different divisions, and there's a lot of money, and it has now become a huge industry. But I kind of agree with Arnold what he said about the contest, how they don't really produce them that well. And there's still, to this day, I think 35 years later, the competitions are not very entertaining. His show, of course, the Arnold Classic is a great show. The Olympia is still a great show. But other than that, there's not too many really good shows. They just put on the show, run through all the competitors, run through all these divisions, and it's not a really spectacular event, which I don't think they can make it a spectacular event anymore because there's just too many competitors, there's too many divisions, and it's just too big now. So it's interesting. Interesting how the sport has changed a lot. And so Arnold, like I said, I think he was like 41 years old when he did that interview and his movie career was at its peak. Now he is going to be 76 next month. So Arnold has gotten older and the sport has moved on and time has moved on. So I hope you guys enjoyed that article. All right. That's all we got for this week, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We will be back next week with Jerry Branham to talk about part two of our interview about the Arnold documentary that is playing on Netflix Send all your emails, your comments to naturalolympia at gmail.com. Keep training hard. We'll be back next week. Take care.